We want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting. I pay my respects to the elders past, present and future. We also acknowledge the contributions of individuals with lived mental health experience. Loneliness and social isolation leading to suicide. Loneliness is an emotional state that we have when we are feeling disconnected. It is a growing issue all around the world and a recent national survey reveals that one in four Australians are lonely. The Young Australian Loneliness Survey commissioned by VicHealth is the first known study to examine loneliness severity in a large cohort of young Victorians aged 12 to 25 years. A total of 1,520 participants completed an online survey. More than one in four young Victorians reported problematic levels of loneliness, specifically one in six adolescents and one in three young adults. Almost one in three young Victorians reported themselves to be of high social isolation risk, which was measured by a frequency of contact with family and friends. While social isolation and loneliness were prevalent in the population prior to COVID-19, efforts to reduce the virus spread via stay-at-home orders, quarantine and social distancing recommendations have exhibited an already serious problem. Those who are lonelier are at an increased risk of poor mental health outcomes. Loneliness is associated with an increased likelihood of experiencing higher depression and social anxiety. Worryingly, findings from longitudinal and cross-sectional studies have shown a positive association between feelings of loneliness and suicidal behavior and suicidal risk across older and younger age groups, even after controlling for demographic and other mental health variables. Research also shows that loneliness can have a profound impact not just on our mental health, but on our physical health as well. In fact, it could be as bad for our bodies as smoking. So, it's time to get to know our emotions even better. Hello and welcome back to our sixth podcast episode of our PLACE project released in association with Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights and Big Health in Australia. My name is Nargis and I'm your host today. Let me introduce myself briefly for you. Uh, I am working as a dental nurse in a dental practice at the moment, but back then I studied a Bachelor of Chemistry in Iran. But what I like the most is to get to know the chemistry of human being and to be more socially active and helpful for people and at least heal one person from pain and suffering. Yeah, that's what I like the most. And I really like to research psychologically about the people's mindset and their personality and everything that is related to human being. Okay, I have Reba Siddiq as a guest speaker today who will be joining us in this podcast. Reba 
is a newly registered provisional psychologist who graduated a few weeks ago with her master's in psychology. She has completed her honors on the topic of alcohol consumption and cardiovascular disease in young people in 2019. She works in Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights as a youth programs coordinator and is a provisional psychologist working in multiple private clinics across Victoria, particularly young children and adolescents conducting therapy, group work and administering cognitive and intellectual assessments. Thank you so much, Ariba, for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you, Nurga, so much for having me. I'm doing very, very well. How are you? Oh, that's great. I'm doing very well. I'm very happy to have you today with us. I'm so excited to be here as well. Honestly, it's it's a great topic, yeah. a really important topic nonetheless because of COVID-19. I'm so excited to give our listeners something great to take away today. Exactly. And with the COVID thing, we've gone through a lot because of the lockdown restrictions and everything during the last one and a half year-ish. So how was lockdown and everything for you? Lockdown, look, was initially very challenging. I think it still is when we have all these mini lockdowns that come into place out of literally the blue. But I think what really kept me grounded and going was was my work and looking after myself. So I made sure I, I did that. Yeah, great. Great. <laughs> I know that restrictions are severely harmful mentally for people. So we will talk about the impacts of COVID restriction a bit later on. <laughs> so let's get started with the topic if we're back to the topic, it's going to be a really controversial and heavy topic. And I'm very excited to have a profound and comprehensive discussion around that today with you. So let's get started. Um, about the loneliness, based on available statistics, loneliness is a common issue that comes up for everyone all around the world at some point of their life. Exactly the same with me and you. Everyone can feel it. Loneliness can be simply seen and felt when we have no one to talk to about our emotions or opening up everything that we have internally. Or if we don't have someone to have lunch with or even not having someone to talk to, maybe at the weekend, you're very alone. So when you feel nobody, there are nobody with you loneliness might happen for you exactly the same thing for me moving to a new country immigrating to a new country and suddenly encountering with a widely diverse cultures they are all different than yours and you might not be able to connect with those people all of them can be factors for feeling lonely so Ariba tell us more about loneliness what do you think loneliness is from your point of view so before I begin, I do want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're on, and I would like to pay my respects to elders past and present. I also want to acknowledge your point above on immigrating to a new country, which I think is such an important point because people from ethnic minority backgrounds are at a greater risk of experiencing loneliness and certain factors that trigger loneliness. And there are so many barriers to accessing support and we could feel a little not welcome, potentially even disrespected. And 
I know a lot of first generations that have come here have experienced this. And that's what loneliness is, like you said above. It's that negative feeling that a person can experience when their social relations are not the way they would like. It's a personal feeling of social isolation to some extent. Loneliness is commonly used to describe like a negative emotional state when there are differences between relationships that one wishes to have and what one perceives they had. So people can feel alone even if they're surrounded by others, if they're not getting the right kind of company and support especially. So almost all of us, like you mentioned, have experienced loneliness at some point. And it is that pain we have felt following a breakup, perhaps grieving, a loss of a loved one or moving away from home. And we are vulnerable to feeling lonely at any point of time in our lives. And that feeling of loneliness is purely very subjective. Loneliness is a normal human emotion. It is simply a sign of wanting contact with people. It's not a personal failing. That's a disclaimer that I kind of wanted to add. If at any point during this podcast you feel a bit overwhelmed, we do encourage you to contact any of the helplines that are listed below because this is a bit of a heavy topic. And it's such an important conversation that we are having today. I know prior to the pandemic, You mentioned that one in four people were struggling with loneliness, but a recent research from Swinburne University actually said that one in two people are now experiencing loneliness in Australia since COVID-19, which is a very, very concerning statistic. Yeah, it would be maybe half, half. Absolutely. Very, very huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, dangerous. So let's discuss more profoundly. Are there any diverse types of loneliness? I mean, psychologically? That's an interesting question. Um, Psychologically, I'm not sure if we have terminologies that define diverse loneliness, but I know there are common types of loneliness that exist. So there are three fundamental types, one being social loneliness. So really the absence of network of friends, family or community that we typically have, especially when you move to a new country. Emotional loneliness, which is the lack of having a trusting or a loving relationship. So even if you do have a good social network, it's that trust and being able to confidentially share everything with people that's lacking. And another type of loneliness, though it's not so common, but it still exists, is existential loneliness. And that's the feeling of being separated from others, most commonly associated with people with life-threatening illnesses or those experiencing trauma. So these kind of loneliness types are not mutually exclusive. They do overlap. We experience them at different extents, at different points of our lives. But I do feel like these are just by the book definitions. And from my personal experience, working with young people and just clients in general, there are many more types of loneliness, which I kind of created my own. (laughs) So this is not an official type, not in research, but I just kind of find it a useful way to think about loneliness and how people experience it and how best to help them when they're lonely. So The first one being the lack of physical connection. Some people feel lonely primarily because they are physically isolated from others. And coming back, I guess, I think the pandemic is still there and it's going to be the major topic in our conversation today. There was that lack of physical connectedness and many people are still able to connect via technology. There is phone, there's text, there's FaceTime, Zoom, but there's still something lacking. And as humans, we crave literal physical closeness in a special way 
And when that closeness is deprived, when it's not there for extended periods of time, we can end up feeling quite lonely. That was very great. I could clearly connect with those things that you were mentioning. Yeah. And also the lack of common interests, that's another type. Because if we don't have shared interests with people that we interact with on a regular basis, like for example, if you love going to the gym, you're a gym fanatic, right? But people can't tell the difference between boxing and cardio or boxing and body combat. That eventually for you will lead to feelings of loneliness because this is especially important when it comes to the handful of people in your life that you're really close to that are most important to you. So your partner, your children, your parents, your best friends. And one of the biggest situations where this loneliness comes from is the lack of shared interests that shows up, for example, in marriages, for example, in long-term romantic relationships. We know that people can get into relationships when they're in love and only to realize that they don't actually have many things in common or many interests once the honeymoon period ends, for example, right? And without a lot of intentional work to build the shared interests and values at the start of your relationship, this can create a bit of problems, I guess, resentment and potentially loneliness later on. Yeah, yeah, truly. And to wrap up, everyone has a unique loneliness themselves and they might feel something that someone else, we might name it loneliness, but it might be totally different from each other. Great. So let's imagine that loneliness is an enemy. So obviously it is. Is an enemy for our mental well-being and our health, our general health. Mm. We must get to know it more in order to be able to get rid of it, to mm. heal that kind of pain and suffering that we internally are feeling it. So one of the things that is important to know is that where does loneliness come from? What creates loneliness? Well, a lot of factors contribute to loneliness. It can be low self-esteem. People can find themselves feeling and believing that they're unworthy of attention, not feeling so confident, and that can eventually lead to isolation and chronic loneliness, like a poor self-concept, like a poor self-image of yourself and an external locus of control and shyness or other aspects of your personality that contribute to loneliness. Contributing factors to loneliness also include like situational variables, for example, physical isolation, moving to a new country and divorce. The death of someone significant in a person's life can also contribute to loneliness. Additionally, it can also be symptoms of a psychological disorder like depression and anxiety, inability to be assertive and be hypersensitive to certain issues linked to conditions of boredom, hopelessness, aggression, stress, anger. So all these kind of factors are what contributes to loneliness. Having an illness or a physical disability also can, if, for example, I know cancer, HIV, AIDS, eating disorders, everyone who have those particular disorders actually tend to isolate themselves from social contacts. Your academic achievement research does indicate that people that don't perform as well as they would like more likely to also be lonely. And leisure activities, so not doing things that I guess you particularly enjoy and just surfing the internet or watching TV, you're alienating yourself from the human world and and contact. So that's also a factor that contributes to loneliness. Oh, yay. So as you mentioned, there are heaps of heaps of factors that might make loneliness. Mm. So uh, 
if we go back to the COVID thing, as you know, COVID has had a dramatic impact upon all the aspects of human life, specifically mm-hmm. human health. So obviously there are prominent consequences that we could all feel during the COVID restrictions. For me, lockdown was not feeling like to have exercise enough, mm-hmm. not eating much because I felt like that I'm alone. So mm-hmm. it was not very interesting for me anything even mm. the simple things in life was not very interesting for me mm. so sleeping late having not very in order plan for my daily activities surfing for a long time on social media and at the end of the day I was like what a meaningless life we do have with the lockdown so how loneliness and social isolation have exacerbated by COVID-19 pandemic from mm. your point of view. We want to hear more from you. I can certainly echo what you've said. It was a very challenging, overwhelming and difficult period for every single one of us in the world. And most importantly, in Victoria, we all really struggled in one way or another. And to answer, I think, your question, most definitely loneliness has been exacerbated by the pandemic. The stat from the University of Swinburne does show that. And while social isolation and loneliness were prevalent in the population prior to COVID-19, efforts to reduce the virus involved us staying at home, doing quarantine, social distancing recommendations. And with the exception of essential workers, basically the pandemic was limiting physical proximity to those with whom one lives. So this has meant little to no human contact for many of us for months. Regardless of the living situation, interactions with anyone outside the home were severely limited, and we all know this. And we also know that the first month of the COVID-19, when we were in lockdown last year, loneliness actually increased from 20 to 30%, and emotional distress tripled three times. So People of different backgrounds, older adults, those with low incomes, those in nursing homes, they were disproportionately victims of the COVID-19. And they were already, I think, at a high risk of poor health outcomes, social isolation and loneliness. And this just triggered it to another level. And given that humans are a social species and are biologically signaling to reconnect and to socialize, just like hunger like signals us to eat and there are signals us to drink water, proximity to others, psychologically, particularly trusted others, signals safety. So when we lack that proximity to trusted others, our brain and body may respond with heightened alert. And this really just results in, in increased blood pressure, stress hormones, and puts us at an increased risk of chronic illness. Especially for those with pre-existing health conditions, it can actually potentially exacerbate the condition really severely and hasten disease progression. So immediate effects of social isolation related to the pandemic have already been observed with mental health concerns, substance abuse, and even domestic violence. We know that that's been on a high. And poor sleep and emotional over reacting and just being really hypersensitive and even overeating are potentially increased. And that the pandemic really just showed us how important and how fundamental social contact is in our lives. Every aspect of our lives changed because of this. 
and social distancing efforts have led to remote working, remote schooling, cancellation of sports and entertainment, professional events. I know when the gym was closed, I think I went into like a downhill where I was just so upset for like two weeks. Parks, mosques, so many places were closed. And that was just really, really difficult and challenging, which kind of put you in a deeper hole and you were just like, I just don't want to go out anymore. I just don't want to do things anymore. Um, I don't want to see people anymore. I think coming out, seeing people was also really difficult and, and meeting up with everyone. So maintaining connections to others outside of our home during quarantine actually increased our reliance on our phone use and our digital use, like you said. And reliance on technology, you know, because of telehealth and telework and online education caused a digital divide. And the pandemic actually heightened limitations going beyond Zoom fatigue. So people actually had to attend funerals virtually and weddings virtually and have virtual catch-ups. And that was for us, though we felt like, oh, that's great. But internally, it was for us, there were feelings of drastically inadequacy. And because of all these virtual social gatherings, it didn't make us feel any better. It failed to reduce loneliness. And this was proven in a study where 48% of the people were like, I feel more lonely. And 10% were like, that's it, I'm stopping. I can't, I can't come to any virtual social gatherings. And that kind of pushed you back in a deeper hole. And you were really struggling. So the pandemic really did put us all in a bit of, yeah, difficult times. Yeah. And that's so sad that you have, everything has changed and you have to uh, change all the plans and to, as you mentioned, to live completely with the social media, Mm. not with real people. So everything is not visuals. It's Mm. like in the social media, just on the screen of your computer. So that's really sad. Exactly. So during the lockdown, we all have had experienced loneliness and being alone. So what sort of mindset can a lonely person develop over time? And how does that exacerbate the problem? That's a really good question. So I think over time, if you were talking about it from a psychological perspective, usually what happens is we develop negative cognitions which are faulty negative thinkings in the way that we're constantly putting ourselves down and constantly blaming ourselves for mistakes and faults that many people who become depressed or who are depressed become habituated to. So these self-limiting thoughts are ingrained processes of thoughts that impact in the way which we interpret or analyze a given situation or event. Self-limiting thoughts can come in many forms. They can be black and white thinking. So what that means is you go in one extreme or another extreme and everything is really, really negative and limits your ability to see the positives. It can be unrealistic expectations where you, you know, have a set of unrealistic ideas of what should occur and that sets you up for failure. It can be selective thinking. So really just honing in on the negatives and ignoring the positives, which leads to an unbalanced perspective. Or it can even be catastrophizing. Like you're you're imagining the worst thing's going to happen to you and that's going to discourage action being taken and it's going to stall change. So these are just a few. There's so many. So if we know that 
these are some of the causes, then it would be reasonable to assume that simply accepting these things and not challenging them represent ineffective options. We then begin to engage in something that we call unhealthy coping mechanisms, which temporarily numbs everything, but it's not good in the long term. So there are dangers that lurk if loneliness isn't addressed and a sense of belonging isn't realized. So loneliness can transition into depression. And once depression is established, the situation goes worse. One of the symptoms of depression is lack of interest in engaging with the social world. It can be very challenging to force yourself to let go of negative beliefs about yourself and others if your mind is trapped in a depressed state. So lonely people often have low levels of self-esteem and high levels of social comparison and social anxiety. If a person doesn't feel confident in their own skin, it can be really, really hard for them to venture into a group and attempt to make social connections. However, research shows that if a person is able to change their thoughts and take this type of step, they're more likely to begin to chip away from their feelings of loneliness than if they don't even try. So while there are like many elements in our society that can drive us to feel alienated, prevalence of loneliness across a population of diverse ages and social backgrounds actually drives us to look closer at a personal psychological factors. So individuals build certain psychological defenses that we adapts to an early environment that can hurt us or limit us in our current lives. So these defenses are really like feelings of alienation, isolation, and depression. And to truly fight, face and fight our loneliness, we have to look inside these deeper defenses as well as the self-image that we've formed as a result. So our psychological defenses come from negative experiences early in our lives that cause us to develop certain adaptations and behaviors so we can feel safe and secure. So for example, if we had an angry parent that raised us, we could be quiet and and retreat inward and not attract attention. But if we had a, a distant or rejecting parent, It may similarly have caused us to retreat and try to be self-sufficient, taking care of our own needs. So as adults, we maintain these adaptions, even though they're no longer conductive in our own lives and relationships. So we may be reluctant to trust again, and we may be feeling rejected and have negative anticipations or really negative views about certain things. So we may project these negative qualities onto others and practice caution in how we approach them. So in addition to having, I guess, suspicious beliefs towards others and self-protective attitudes towards ourselves, we tend to be really critical, like I said, and we see ourselves in unfavorable ways we were seen or treated from our early lives. So for example, if we felt invisible or unimportant in our family, we may carry these shameful feelings inside and listen to our self-thoughts or our critical inner voices that we call it, that puts us down in forming new relationships. So these voices, they don't just isolate us, by criticizing us and diminishing our confidence, but by tricking us as well into self-protecting. So don't trust her or she's probably using you. Say at home tonight, you don't need to, you know, stress about going out and talking to people. Things are too hectic. You need your own space. Like it's been COVID, you've been by yourself, continue being by yourself, right? And these voices kind of really, like we, we end up becoming so habituated, we end up listening to them. And even in a crowd of friendly faces, our inner voice can try and sabotage us from into being alone. For example, no one really knows who you are. Like, why are you here? Like, 
no one really cares about you, right? These are these destructive attitudes and expectations that leads us to engage in distancing behaviors and adapt like independent tendencies to push people away. So not only did the kind of pandemic exacerbate loneliness, but if we were depressed or if we were feeling a certain way before, it would have potentially worsened right now. And we would choose to stay shy and stay in the background and remove ourselves from others and feel like we're a burden to everyone around us. So we go into this inward state where we kind of seek satisfaction internally and just spend our time engaging with our critical inner voice because it's just easier to relate to the negative rather than I think the positives, which are harder for people to believe that they have. So, Yeah, by simply being alone, you go to the feeling of loneliness and then the first layer of going deeper, deeper, and getting into all of these mental challenging things that we might mm. have mental issues in the future, that's very sad and very deep. And we should consider it more as a very big alarm in order to make sure that in the future, these are the things that might happen to us just by simply being alone. Exactly. So, yeah, if we go more deep, Loneliness might lead us to even suicidal thoughts as well. Mm. So in 2019, nearly 800,000 people died of suicide. It means every 40 seconds someone was taking their own life. It is because of suicide. So suicide is a global phenomenon. So one of the risk factors of feeling loneliness is suicidal ideational behavior. So let's have a look at the loneliness in creating suicidal thoughts and ideation mm -hmm. with each other. So another disclaimer, just because this is a bit of a heavy content, we are talking about suicidal ideation. So if any point you feel distressed, we do encourage you to contact any of the helplines listed below or any of the helplines in your local GP, clinic, wherever you are in the world. Loneliness and suicidal ideation, that's a heavy topic. So we know that loneliness isn't just a state of being alone. It's a feeling of being less in touch with people that you'd prefer. And like we mentioned, the feeling of loneliness can trigger a self-perpetuating cycle of self-blame, low self-worth, dysphoria, low self-esteem, which can lead to mental health problems like depression. So depression can actually lead to suicide, which is the second leading cause of death in a lot of young people aged between 15 to 29 years. Um, and loneliness can be severe enough to lead to death by suicide in general. The perception of a lack of satisfying interpersonal relationships can be damaging to adolescents that predict suicidality. And I talk about adolescents because that's the population that I work with. And it's what we see. And a lot of suicidal ideation actually stems from being alone. Loneliness is as harmful as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, right? It's twice as harmful to physical and mental health as obesity. So social isolation is a major risk factor to suicide. The feeling of not belonging, the feeling of not connecting to other people is detrimentally powerful. Being alone with little interaction with others wears on your mental health and well-being. It can lead to spending too much time in your own head, like I just said, ruminating over past situations and worrying about what's going on in the world around you. So people actually need to feel connected. We need to have a sense of belonging. And when the pandemic hit, 
our spaces of connection lessened and we found ourselves being more secluded. And for many, there was that long, the loss of belongingness. So knowing the risks of suicide is really helpful to raise awareness and improve education to prevent suicide. And suicide occurs to absolutely anyone in the world. It impacts individuals and families of all demographics. So it's really important to have a good knowledge and understanding of it and have cultural and appropriate ways to deal with it and to seek appropriate help where necessary. So here we all have a very big ideas about the loneliness and suicidal thoughts. And we know that how dangerous it might be just by feeling alone and then having the feeling of loneliness. So here our big agenda must be considering factors like protective factors against suicide because when we know more about loneliness and suicidal thoughts and all of these knowledge, when we're adding them up into our mind, after raising the awareness, we should find a protective way in order to not to lead to such a very huge impact. So. What is your idea? How can we have a protective factors against suicide? Mm -hmm. So, and I'm going to come back to young people again, like I said, because young people, I feel they, I work with them. Um, so I know there was a, a, a study released by Vic Health um, saying that lo while loneliness could affect anyone, young people were particularly vulnerable. And as young people go through so many significant changes in their life, finishing high school, starting a new job, pursuing further education, getting married, everything is very stressful and challenging for you. We tend to move away from our supportive networks. We have to develop new ones. Uni is a new group, schools a new group, works a new group, then there's family and then there's your partner, potential spouse. And a significant number of young people feel like they have no one to turn to. So having a supportive network of friends and family around us can actually improve our health and well-being. So protective factors, I think that's a really important question. Protective factors reduce the likelihood of suicidal behaviours and improve a person's ability to cope with difficult circumstances. So for those of you who don't know what that was, it's basically a protective factor as a characteristic that reduces the likelihood of attempting or completing suicide. Um, so protective factors are skills, their strength, their resources that help people deal more effectively to certain stressful events that occur in life. So they enhance our resilience internally and make us count and help us counterbalance risk factors. So protective factors are personal or they're environmental, and they're very, very subjective. So everyone's protective factor is going to differ. For example, personal protective factors, that can be our personal social network and connectedness with our friends that makes us feel grounded and safe with our family, with having stable relationships, attitudes, values, and norms. So prohibiting suicide, so strong beliefs, strong values, religious values, I think cultural, religious, spiritual values that discourage suicide is a protective factor. Our connections you know, good health and access to health and, and physical and mental support. Hope for the future, so optimism. Having a safety plan in place. So for anyone who is currently having certain ideations or thoughts, a, a great app that I recommend is Beyond Now, which helps you create a safety plan in relation to the current stresses that you are facing in relation to stressful events. Even having appropriate coping skills 
a healthy self-care strategy, strong sense of self-worth and strong sense of self-esteem, and most importantly, accessibility to a variety of clinical interventions and support for seeking help. So that's psychologists, that's counsellors, psychiatrists, wherever, whenever you need them. We do have a certain stigma in our communities around mental health, but I think it's important that we are able to reach out for help when we need to. And that's our personal protective factor. Environmental factors, for example, include opportunities to participate in school or community projects and activities, a safe and stable environment that we're in, that we live in, restricted access to lethal means, for example, alcohol, drugs, weapons, these things just having restricted access to them is is healthy and protective and safe for us. Our responsibilities and duties to others and what we're living off our values and, and our pets. I don't have any pets, but I know a lot of people that do have cats or, or anything say that their pets are the world to them and they mean so much to them. And that is an environmental protective factor in itself. Increasing our protective factors reduces suicide risk. That's proven in studies. It's it's shown everywhere. And strengthening these factors should be an ongoing process. And that's something that I'd like to really stress on because it, it should be changing our resiliency and who we are as individuals characteristics and everything fluctuate in life and we need to be able to have protective factors in place at every stage of our life and these protective factors and supports will change and should change so it should be ongoing you should be looking at them and saying no not this no I have a new protective factor I want to change this to something else so it should be ongoing it should be changing and it it should be beneficial and meaningful to you Oh, great. You mentioned very helpful factors against suicidal ideation and all of those. Thank you very much, Ariba. And one of those factors that you mentioned was relationship and connection, because you mentioned that especially young adults might go through significant changes after high school. They might find a new job, pursuing further studies, they are going through very stressful and challenging time. Mm. So um, uh, tell us more about the relationship and connection and it's how can it be helpful for young people? Absolutely. Relationships are vital. And I've said this before and I'll say it again, human beings are inherently social creatures. As far back as we can trace, humans travelled, hunted and thrived in social groups. And for a good reason. Um, Humans who were separated from their tribe often suffered severe consequences. And we know this even today. Um, Social groups provide us with an important part of our identity. Um, And more than that, they teach us a set of skills that help us live our lives. So feeling socially connected, especially in this increasing isolated technologically driven world is more important than ever and social connection doesn't necessarily mean physically being present with people um, in a literal sense but someone's subjective experience of being understood and connected to others so having relationships actually boost our mental health friendships offer us mental health benefits such as increased feelings of belonging and purpose and happiness and our stress levels decrease our self-worth increases, as does our confidence. It also helps you live longer. Having a close connection with people, your family, your friends, your guardians, whoever is present in your life, it's shown that social connectedness not only impacts your mental health, 
but your physical health as well. And there's a 50% increased likelihood chance of survival with adequate social support in place. And it decreases your risk of suicide. So in today's age, we live like really busy lives and we were trying to strike a balance between work, school, hobbies, self-care, etc. I know, at least I know I am. It's a struggle balancing that, but I think you got to do what you got to do. So often our social connections fall by the wayside, but connecting with others is more important than you might think. So social connectedness, it just improves us holistically, physically and mentally. If we neglect our need to connect, we put our health at risk. And the reality is that we're living in a true time of social disconnection and technology seems to connect us more than ever. The screens around us disconnect us from nature, from ourselves and from others. So Wi-Fi alone is not enough to fulfill our social needs. We need face-to-face interaction, right? Technology should help enhancing our connection, not replacing it. I think that's what's really important here. And our inherent need for social human connection doesn't mean that every introvert must become a social butterfly. Having human connection can look different for each person, like we said. And if you're not sure where to start on finding a meaningful connection, that's okay. Start by looking internally inward. Where are your hobbies and interests? What kind of personalities are you naturally comfortable around? So loud, quiet, smart, I don't know, what what kind? Devote time to to become active in your community. Volunteer and join a club or an organization. And if you meet a potential friend, create an opportunity to spend time together because you'll find someone with, like I said, common interests and common values. Remember that social connection can improve your overall health and well-being. And this could just even be, it could start off with a latte, a cappuccino, a meal, and they require, they require time and effort, but you form a strong, healthy relationship. You're opening up, you're listening, you're actively listening, you're openly sharing what you're going through. And these relationships can change the course of your life. There's a lot of great people. I know there was one individual who did 100 lunches with 100 strangers. And that was so powerful because she went out and she reached out to strangers and, and took them for lunches. And she was sharing her story to, to me once. And I was so inspired by how she had the confidence to just go out and have lunch with a complete stranger and know all about them. And now they're just best friends. Like to me, I think it's 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 crazy how you can do that and I think when there's a will there's a way and I know it's hard it's difficult it's challenging but the first step is acknowledging and recognizing it and once you do that it just falls into place easily great you mentioned a very crucial need to find effective ways for young adults everyone for everyone to meaningfully connect with each other with peers friends family with the community and that is a very good thing so as an experience, my husband, he is living here for, in Australia for maybe 11 years. Mm. And uh, after exactly as soon as coming to Australia, he went to high school mm. and found a group of friends. And they are friends till now. And it's the 11 years of celebration wow. being friend. Wow. So always saying that having such a good group friends is very important for me because always, every day I learn something from them and they are giving me positivity and 
I feel like that they pushing me forward to mm. make to be more positive, to be more active in my life and having a meaningful life. So yeah, and I feel like that it is a great thing to have someone with you to turn to, to talk to, and to learn from them everything in every stage of our life. So that's great. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and that is very meaningful for me. So finally, um, at the end of our discussion, a very deep and very meaningful discussion, what advice do you have for someone who is feeling lonely or having suicidal thoughts? And do you have a message you would like to end with? Absolutely. So loneliness isn't just a lack of company, but rather a lack of purpose. And I think it's important for us to find our purpose. Um, I suggest people embrace who they are. Introverts can see their social style as a negative. I know I used to see my social style being an introvert as a really negative thing because, you know, you have low confidence. You just don't know how to approach people. And when you compare yourself to extroverts, you feel insecure and unworthy. But introverts don't have to have a large group of friends who want to go out all the time. So just be true to yourself. You can find a smaller group of friends, enjoy your alone time and still be far from lonely. I also encourage people to pursue interests, not people. So get involved in personal interests that can put you in touch with like-minded people. Take a continuing education class at your local university or your college. Become a volunteer. I, I keep stressing this because... It feels less intimidating than feeling you have to go out and actually meet new people is to find like-minded people who have similar interests to yourself. And most importantly, get comfortable in your own company and be in touch with your values. A lot of people crave company, almost absolutely anyone's company that they just pick and choose, it's fine, because they fear the void and discomfort of when they're alone. Getting together with others for them is it's a desperate attempt to not feel lonely. So instead, just learn to enjoy your own company and just sit with yourself. Some good ways to start are literally watching TED Talks, taking time out of work, going to a movie, doing yoga, meditation, reading, doing gratitude or gratitude journals, um, focusing on things that you are grateful for rather than wishing for what you persistently want um, is a great lesson of appreciation. So build that relationship with yourself because there's one person who, who you're closer to with anyone else in this world as a human being that you spend every moment of your life with and that is yourself. So when we practice to look after that person, our relationship with other people also get better. So look after yourself because your relationships get better. You're able to help out more. You're feeling good. And it just, it's a cycle. Great. Thank you very much, Ariba. And as an introverted person, me personally, want to highlight one thing from your uh, great ideas. Uh, just being more socially connected doesn't mean you have to make more friends. You mm. could start by deepening the relationships with people you already know and yes. deepening the relationship with yourself, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ariba, for joining us today with this discussion. It was such an insightful and we hope impactful conversation to have. Thank you to our listeners for listening in on another podcast. We are excited to bring forth many more in the upcoming weeks. Stay in tune and watch this space for our next podcast. 
In the meantime, go and check out our Instagram page at amwchr underscore youth and at amwchr and give us a follow. Links will be provided in the description below. Reach out if you have any comments or questions and we cannot wait to bring you more great contents. Until next time.